Hi, and welcome to church. It's so good that you could join us today, and I just hope that you're doing well wherever you're at and excited to get into God's Word today. So we've been going through the book of Ezekiel, and we're going to continue on in that book today by going through about seven chapters. So it's a big chunk, so bear with us. But if you guys want to grab your Bible and go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. And we're going to go and we're going to read through verse 8 all the way to the end of the chapter. So read with me from Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 8. It says, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be uninhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you in inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you, and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nation any more, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations any more, nor bear the reproach of the peoples any more. Nor shall you cause your nation to stumble any more, says the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them uh, for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols, which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call from the grain and multiply it, and bring it no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and, increase, and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations." 
Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight. For your iniquities and your abominations, not, not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of <clears throat> shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of restoration, that you love to be glorified and Father, we just want to glorify you today. I pray that your words would be spoken and that we would enjoy your presence today with us. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So throughout the book of Ezekiel, we've been talking a lot about God's judgment, whether it be on the nation of Israel or on the nations around Israel or on the people of Israel or all of the other kinds of things. We've been talking a lot about how God does not put up with sin of the people. He does not he will not be mocked is what his word says. And so today I'm, I'm honored to get to talk about kind of the light at the end of the tunnel for Israel, as well as we can lump in some, some of our own personal stuff as well. But we're going to be talking about how God will restore Israel and, and has and will. And that's kind of an exciting thing. And so first we want to talk to you, we've got a huge section, so we want to give you guys context. And we want to talk about chapters 33 through 36. So chapter 33 starts out and deals with Ezekiel being a watchman over Israel. And if you turn to chapter 33, so just a, a few pages to your left, uh, then you can see how many times the Bible refers to him as a watchman. It is actually multiple times. If you look in verses 2, verses 6, and verses 7, you'll see all of these different references to Ezekiel being a watchman. This, this example of a watchman is somebody who's looking out for something coming. So he's, he's standing on top of the, the, the wall. They would have a watchman stand on top of the wall of the city and look out. So he's watching and he's a man watching, so watchman. And he would be looking out for the enemy to come, the sword to fall, the idea of, okay, something bad is coming and he would alert the people. He would yell out to the people, hey, something bad is coming. And they would, you know, muster the troops or whatever. And so we, we see that definition in verses one through six. It's a very specific definition of the watchman's job is to protect the people from the dangers that are out there. Uh, verse 10 is his charge and verse, verse 11 is so important. So we want to read verse 11 here. It says this, it says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, 
for why should you die, O house of Israel? We, we oftentimes look at God as being this vindictive, um, angry uh, person in the Old Testament that just wants to kill and destroy and doesn't really care about where people go after they're dead. And this very cl- clearly says that God does not take pleasure in the death of anyone. He does not take pleasure even in the death of the wicked. He is not vindictive. He is not malicious. His heart breaks for the lost. He loves the lost. He does not want to see them be lost. He desires that all would turn from their wicked ways and turn to him. First Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore I exert Exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who, all, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and uh, reverence. For this is the good and acceptable, for this is good, sorry, and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is what we would call the general will of God, is that all men would come to him, all men would be saved, because he he desires that no man should perish. He doesn't want to see anyone die, especially in in their wickedness, because he is a just God, that dying in wickedness means that your consequence has been decided. Ezekiel was to warn the people of the sword that was coming to tell the people to turn back to the Lord, and we see that. Don't, don't do this. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn, turn uh, from your evil ways. We see that uh, multiple times, actually, through the book of Ezekiel. This is just one example. Uh, so chapter 33 ends with Ezekiel warning the people to turn back and not to follow wickedness. The people were in, were the very definition of, of hypocrites. If, if you look at verses 31 and 32, it says this, uh, so they came to you as a people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do it, do them for with their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. And oftentimes, even when we're giving warnings, people will say, oh yeah, okay, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I, I don't want to go down that path. Great. And, and they talk about love and they talk about forgiveness and they talk about mercy and they talk about grace but they actually are just saying that for what we would call mouth service. They're just, they're just saying the, the right words. And oftentimes, even in our own Christian uh, lives, we can know what the answer is. If you think about like a Sunday, a Sunday school where the teacher asks a question and the kid that raises his hand just super excited and the teacher calls on him and he says, Jesus, because Jesus is always the answer. It's the same idea. These people were just saying love or God or turning from our evil ways so that they could get the right answer, but they weren't actually letting that answer change how they were living. So that is the very definition of being a hypocrite. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go down that path. So in chapter 33, we see this idea of, of Ezekiel being a watchman, telling the people to turn from their wicked ways and the people kind of saying, yeah, 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 that's good. We should, we should turn from our evil ways, but then not actually doing it. And chapter 34 opens with a seething rebuke, a scathing rebuke of false shepherds. I can't go into it now because of time purposes, but please, please, please do some homework on this and read about what God has to say about 
false shepherds and false teachers. If you want a good passage to read, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus actually is talking about, you know, people who lead children astray. And, and the, the, the thought process there is actually thinking about pastors and leaders and shepherds and things like that leading children astray. It's better that a millstone be tied around their neck and that they be thrown into the sea. And, and so do that study. God takes this topic very seriously. It is very important that we know that our pastors and leaders are teaching the truth of God's word, not just teaching their opinions, not just teaching some false doctrine, not just teaching what sounds good to the ears so they can get more follows or more likes on social media or more hits on YouTube or whatever. We're not looking for pastors who are popular. We're looking for pastors who are teaching the word of God. And so chapter 34, the first half of chapter 34 really deals with these false teachers and how these false shepherds have misled the people saying, don't worry, God's, God's wrath is not going to come. You're fine. You're fine. Don't listen to that Ezekiel guy. He's, he's just, he's angry or he's legalistic or he's whatever. They, they purposefully led the people away because they didn't want to teach the truth and they didn't want the people to teach the truth because they were afraid that the people would now leave them. So they were worried about their own uh, standing. So I can't go any deeper into that than I already did. <laughs> but the second half of, half of chapter 34, it deals with the true shepherd and his guidance and his protection of his sheep. Uh, if you want a deeper study of this second half of chapter 34, our home guides that we're putting online for the book of Ezekiel and moving forward uh, will deal with this second half of chapter 34 as, as who the true shepherd is and how we can know that he is the true shepherd and how much he actually does love us. So we're cruising right along. We've gone through chapter 33-ish and we've gone through chapter 34-ish. I, again, I encourage you guys to go back and read these uh, when you have time. Uh, but now we come to chapter 35, and chapter 35 deals with another judgment of God on the nation of Edom. And so it's important to note that when God judges a nation, he does it so that they shall know that I am the Lord. You can see that even in chapter 35. And when he, when he judges a nation, when he brings down judgment on a nation, it is very purposefully because he is the Lord. He wants to be glorified. And in his righteous judgment, and this is important, and we're going to talk about this, in his righteous judgment, he is good, he is God, and he will not be mocked. And so his glory and his glorification is supreme in God's plan for the world. There is nothing that God does or does not do that does not promote his glory, uh, his glorification, his honor, his worship. It's about him. And we're going to talk about that in depth. Now, the first half of chapter 36, uh, or the first few verses, I guess I should say, does deal with kind of the blessing that God will bring on Israel. The, the reason why we're starting in verse 8 is because it actually gets into some of the details. So in verse 8, we're going we're gonna to camp here. This is where, we've gonna, where, where we're going to spend most of our time today is talking about chapter 36 from verse 8 all the way to verse 38. And so we see starting out in verses 8 and 9 that God promised to deal with Israel's enemies 
but also to bless Israel on top of that. And that's something that's important to know. It's important to know and to remember that, that there are God's blessings of him taking care of our problems. And then there's also God's blessings on top of that. God takes care of us, but then he also blesses on top of that. He didn't just deal with Israel's enemies, as we see here. He's actually going to now turn around and bless Israel on top of that. So he doesn't just deal with our problems. He actually blesses us even more. And so we see that in how he deals with Israel. Now, an important point to remember when we go through any kind of prophetic passage, and Pastor Rob has talked about this, and we're going to be talking about it more and more as we go along, is that there are essentially three time periods that that can be that can be defined when when we deal with prophecies. And so the first one is kind of the immediate future, something that will happen very soon, whether it's in the next you know uh, hundred years or fifty years or tomorrow or two weeks or whatever. Uh, it's something that the the prophecy is dealing with. Okay, guys, this is going to happen very soon. Then the second one is the extended future. And so this is a long time from now. So we're not talking about um, 100 years or less. We're talking about, you know, possibly 500 years from now or even 2,000 years from now. And we we will talk about that in great detail today. But this prophecy concerns a time that's soon, a time that's far from now. And then the third one is the day of the Lord. And so we have... We have the immediate future, so something soon. We have the extended future, a a long time from now. And then the day of the Lord, which is after the tribulation period in Revelation. So so it's the idea of Jesus actually coming back. Now, there's the day of the Lord that deals with the tribulation and the day of the Lord that doesn't. So there's a little bit of confusing. You can do your own eschatological studies on this if you want to, if you have time. Just know that the day of the Lord refers to a time that is yet to come even for us that will deal with actually eternity. And and this is the time where we are with Jesus in heaven, uh, in eternity with him. Um, And so all of those are used in this section of scripture. All three of those prophetic uh, tools are used in this section of scripture. And so that's important to note. Now, It's cool because in verses 8 and 9, it talks about the mountains um, coming out and yielding fruit. And actually, throughout this whole section of Scripture, we see, I mean, even in verse 30, and I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. I love that because, A, we have, you know, Nehemiah and things like that and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding kind of the, what we would call maybe the, heyday of Israel where they actually come back to the land after captivity and things like that. And understand that was big for these the people here in Ezekiel because Jerusalem was in ruins at the time. And, and so there wasn't a lot of hope um, for that. And so, so that was a big prophetic thing that was going to be happening soon. The, the captivity would end soon. Now, we also have to deal with as of 1948 when Israel became a nation again, and, and coming back and bringing back into a solid nation. Um, and what we see there is Israel becoming really a, a mecca for beauty and, and agriculture. So statistically speaking, 
Israel is pretty barren. 20% of Israel is suitable for farming and agriculture. So ever since 1948, that, that's pre-1948, is 20% of the country is suitable for farming and agriculture. Ever since 1948, they have increased that threefold. In fact, some people even say up to 16 times more than that. Now, today, 95% of its own food requirements are provided by Israel. So they, they actually only import 5% of their food requirements. They are fairly self-sustaining. Anybody that runs a country would say that 95% of your own food requirements being sustained within the country is, you're doing great. Not just pretty good, you're doing great. And so they're doing that today. Uh, they have large, one of the largest agricultural export industries. They export a ton of food. Not only do they do export food, did you know that they are one of the, if not the, they were the number one exporter for flowers in the world. And so God has truly blessed Israel and blessed their, their farming and their agriculture and, and their, their ways. I mean, if you see some of the reforestation of Israel and things like that, you can plant trees with uh, places like Jewish National Fund and things like that. If you spend, I think it's 20 bucks, they'll plant a tree in your name or in the name of your, you know, new niece or whatever. And you can plant a tree in Israel and, and that is a reforestation pro project. And they're also doing uh, clean water projects in Israel as well, trying to get back the aqueducts and things like that, that kind of were destroyed back in the day. And so you see this amazing blessing upon the nation of Israel right now. Now, we are going to see that even more in the millennial reign of Christ and throughout eternity. We're going to see the blessing of Israel again and again and again. These are God's people and God's, God loves to bless his people. God loves to bless his children. And we are lumped into that, thank goodness, for Jesus Christ because we have been lumped into that blessing now as Gentile believers. And so God blesses his people and he will continue to do so. We see that throughout the scriptures there is no, there's a big push for people saying that, you know, Israel is no longer the chosen people of God. That, that's not the case. We don't see that here, biblically speaking. Now, we've just been added to the fold. So, uh, you can also look at, even outside of the agriculture factor, you can also look at the way that God has blessed his people uh, in actually protecting them uh, physically. If you do any research on the Seven Days War uh, that was fought in the 1960s, if you do any research on their War of Independence in 1948 when they actually became a nation, it was at the stroke of midnight. They had five different countries that were trying to invade and take over and undo what the UN had done in 1948. And if you look at the way that God protected Israel during those times, it is miraculous to say the very least some of the stories that come out of those war times that God has protected his people again I don't have time to go into it today but I highly encourage you to read some books on things like the six days war the seven days war things like that and and go into Israel's independence in 1948 and you can see how time and time and time again God not only blessed his people but he showed up in very literally miraculous ways
So what used to be ruins <clears throat> would be rebuilt. And we see that in things like uh, Nehemiah or Jerusalem. You know, when Jesus was there, we see Jerusalem becoming a hub again. Um, Israel becoming a nation in 1948 again. And then the future restoration of the people to God. God would do better uh, for uh, them than at the beginning. And, and by that, I don't mean that God didn't do good for them before, but, but he's actually going to increase their blessing. He's going to continually bless them even more. And so we see this progression of how much he loves them. He loves them. He loves them. He's, God is always wanting to bless where obedience is strong. And I'm going to say that again. God is always wanting to bless where obedience is strong. To obey is better than sacrifice. And so we see this idea where it, Israel, when they turn back to God, he's, he immediately starts blessing them. And, and we experience that in our own lives today. When, when we turn back to God, when we obey his statutes, when we come to him and we, we love him and we allow him to work in and through us, we see his blessings come. And, and guys, I, I think it's shameful and it's sad that so many churches define the term blessing as being a financial thing. Blessing is so much more than you having money in your bank account and or the Mercedes on the street or the house that you've always dreamed of or whatever it is. Blessing, like we are selling ourselves short if all we think is that God can only bless through financial gain. And so I want to experience God's full blessing for me. And sometimes that means that I still have to go through living in this world and this world can be hard sometimes, but I always will have the blessing of Jesus Christ. I always will have the blessing of knowing God the Father. And so, yes, in the Old Testament, we see things like property gain. We see things like land gain and things like that. But there is a deeper story going on even with the children of Israel because God talks about how he will bring up the the Messiah out of the people of Israel, that he would not let them die away. And we see that here when it talks about the idea of these nations used to say like, oh, well, Israel just devours men. It just devours them. It eats their children. Like the land is terrible. The, the country is hard and, and nobody wants to live there. And, and it just, you die if you live there. But Jesus or God says, I will keep a remnant. And not only will I keep a remnant, I will bring out of that remnant Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which is a huge blessing on the nation of Israel to be the ones who say Jesus came out of us. <laughs> the Messiah came out of us. And so that's very important for them. It's very important, obviously, for us as Christians. Um, it's very important to know that that's what's going on here. And that's the kinds of promises that Ezekiel is proclaiming to these people in a time when they felt like there was no hope, that there was nothing left. And, and you can understand how the other shepherds during the time, again, if we go back to ver uh, chapter 34, the other shepherds at the time didn't want to hear what Ezekiel was saying because the people are going through miserable, hard times. And Ezekiel is saying, don't worry, it's going to get better. And they're saying to themselves, well, how is it going to get better? When is it going to get better? And so we see that through, through and through in the Old Testament, and we, we understand that we have to be willing and able to take God's blessings for where it is at. But unless we follow and obey his word, 
there is no hope for God's blessing because how can God bless? Even though he does, <laughs> it's a weird, uh, it's, it's like an oxymoron. He even blesses us in our disobedience, even if we don't understand that that blessing is actually happening. Okay, so we're gonna move on from this and we're gonna talk about like the progression of the disobedience that leads to the punishment, that leads to a returning of the people, that that will be ended in a yet future time for sure. But in verses 16 through 19, let's just read it really quick for good context. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, where the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, sorry, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for the idols of which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. God warned them of the consequences of their disobedience. God warned them of what was going to be happening. They rebelled anyway. They decided to follow false gods, false idols, and the lusts of their own flesh. He punished them with, you know, going into exile, the nations coming against them, really their, their promised land that, that Moses and, and Joshua and the boys back in the day that they fought for, that they were excited for, that they inhabited, that promised land was essentially just wiped away from the earth. I mean, it was rubble and ruins and nobody even wanted to touch the place because it was so just barren. So he punished them because of their rebellion. They turned back to him and he immediately blesses them and curses their enemies and, and promises to bring them back to the land. Now, he promised to bring them back to the land before because he is sovereign God and he knows that they're going to turn back to him. But we see this progression. And if you read through the Old Testament as a whole, you see this progression happen a lot. God warns his people, don't turn away from me. They rebel. He punishes them. They turn back to him. He blesses them. And it kind of is a cyclical thing. It happens a lot. And, and that brings up a good point is even in our own lives, even in today, we do similar things. Because we often talk about how, God, I need you in the times that life is hard. But then when life is easy, I don't need God so much right now. So we decide to drift away from him. And then once we drift away far enough, we get into some danger and we immediately come back running. And I'm not saying that that's, no, I am saying that's a bad thing because we are using God at that point. We, we, are, we are treating him as though he is our genie in a bottle when we should be worshiping him and glorifying him and honoring him and following his statutes for our lives, his, his laws, his word. And we often go by our feelings today. We often go by our opinions today on how I should live my life or how I feel like God wants me to live my life. It is not about my feelings. It is not about my opinions. It is about what the word of God says. And that is it. That is the final authority. And, and so when we think that we're okay, or when we feel that we're okay, um, it would do, we would do well to ask God to talk to him. So moving on, verses 20 through 23. Uh, the children didn't make God's name great 
in the other nations. So we see that uh, when he says things like, my name has not been great. When they came to the nations in verse 20, when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. We see this idea of God wants his name to be made great. And when the children of Israel were kicked out of the land because of their disobedience, the other nations were like, well, this is the people of God. Like this ragged uh, group of people that's always getting punished. Like these are the people that, that always, they never listen to, to their God. Uh, well, that doesn't sound like a God I want to follow. And so that's profaning God's name. And his name and its glory is more important to him than even restoring the children. He wants to make his name great, but obedience is how he can make his name great because when they obey, people can look at them and say, okay, these people are following their God. They're this is worth it to them, following God is worth it to them. And it's so important. And you guys have heard me say this again, and I'm going to say it loud and I'm going to say it proud. It is not about me. This life, this, this existence that I have is not about me. Now I get to take part in it. I get to be along for the ride, which is great, but I am not the important one here. God is. God's name needs to be glorified in me, through me, around me, about me, up, down, inside out, whatever you want to say. I'm sure there's a kid's song in there somewhere. But God's glory is what this life should be and was meant to be about. It is not about me. It is not about my opinions. It is not about my feelings on the matter. It is about what God said I should be doing. Well, I don't really like that. God didn't ask your permission. He didn't ask my permission to give his word, to, to give his law, to give his command. And so we have to remember, it is not about me. It is about his glory. It is about him being glorified because he is worthy of being glorified. And so that is why we have been put here. There is a song, and it's a Chris Tomlin song, so uh, you can all roll your eyes with me if you want. But it says, you and I were made to worship. And now that's that's true. We were made to worship. That is our purpose here on this earth is to worship. That is it. That is it. That is why we were put here is to worship and give God the glory. Now we do that in a variety of ways. It is not just about singing a song. When you work hard and you do good for your, your business, guess what? That's glorifying God. It can be. It can also be glorifying self. When you Obviously, when you come to church and when you sing songs and things like that, yes, you are giving God the glory. When you, when you tithe, you are giving God the glory. When you, when you share the gospel with your friends, you are giving God glory. You are glorifying his name. And that is why we have been put here. And I know I'm hammering this home a little bit, maybe too much. But no, it can't be too much because it is God's glorification that we are here for. And, and that's what I want to be here for. And I pray and hope that I... I can do that more and more every day. The fact is I'm bad at it sometimes because I love me. <laughs> I love myself. And it's important though that I know that God is the one who should be glorified. Moving on. God promises to bring Israel back from captivity, but also 
uh, a more complete action later as well. Uh, they have Israel, uh, but they they will be brought back to inhabit their whole inheritance in the end. So so even right now they live in Israel from 1948 to today, but the eternal Israel will be uh, at the second coming of the Lord at the day of the Lord. And so so just understand this is a progressive thing. In verse 26, we see that God says he will give them a new heart and a new spirit. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says something similar. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's important. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is a huge passage because it means that if I am in Christ, that's a big if. If I am in Christ, guess what? I am a new creation. I am no longer a slave to my sin, which means I no longer desire the things of the flesh. Uh, we are a new creation, which means that the old ceases to exist. And, and I would challenge us to answer a question very honestly. Is that truly how we live our lives? As though we have this new heart and this new spirit and this new outlook on life, that we are not looking to the old ways, the old things, the old me, how I used to do things. That That's no longer even in existence. It's been crucified with Christ. Now I am a new creation being made new every day, and I am working towards Jesus Christ and his glorification. That is it. That is the purpose. And again, sometimes people will say, well, you're a pastor, so that's your job. If you are a Christian, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is a, it's a pretty simple word study, means anybody, means everybody. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become made new. We need to live our lives as though we are a new creation. All right, we got to cruise along here. I've only got another hour and a half before we got to let you go. So, uh, we see all the way to verse 31 in chapter 36, the people are blessed and told how God will bless them forever. Again, we talked about the idea of the current situation in Israel being huge exporters agriculturally. Um, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they're a huge um, wood exporter as well. And so we're seeing that blessing come on the nation of Israel. But true relationship with God reminds us more and more that we don't deserve a relationship with him. When we come closer and closer to him, we are mo made more aware of how much our sin separates us. It's like in Isaiah when he says, behold, I'm a man of unclean lips. I got to keep my mouth shut because I am unworthy. God brings his righteousness and makes us righteous. Now, again, that's positionally we are righteous, but but actually in this present, we may not be righteous. <laughs> but but where this is where when we actually come up to that understanding of the closer I get with Jesus, the closer I get with God, the more aware I am of my sin. This is where Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You see, when, when we are pointed towards our sin in Christ, like we, we understand, okay, I am, I am a wretched sinner. The more we are pointed to that, the more we understand, praise Jesus, where this sin abounds that seems to be all-encompassing, grace abounds much more. And that is what Paul was saying when he wrote that. Not that I could go on and sin, but that I, I'm understanding more clearly when I have a true relationship with him. I'm understanding my position of being a wretched sinner in need of a savior. And praise God, here's that savior. And here's that grace 
that abounds much more than that sin. And it's very important. Verse 32 reminds us that it's because it wasn't because Israel was great, because, but because God was worthy. Again, I go back to, it's not about you. It's not about Israel getting what they want. It's about God making his name worthy for he is the Lord. And we hear that a lot in Isaiah. So in verses 32 through 38, uh, every blessing is for the glory of the Lord. Again, everything that we do is for, for the glory of the Lord. And, and it's not about me being amazing or anything like that. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and many of you will be familiar with these verses, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God does not save us so that we can boast about how great we are. He saves us so that we can understand how much we need to be saved. He saves us so that we can bring him glory, so that he can be glorified. He did this amazing thing for us, and his name will be made great. Okay, so that wraps up chapters, chapter 36. We only have to get through chapters 37 through 39 now, so we're really doing good here. Okay, so in chapter 37... We see Israel's complete restoration in the vision that Ezekiel was regarding the Valley of the Dry Bones. I won't go into this at all hardly this week, um, just very shortly, because we're actually going to spend more time on that next time together. And so uh, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I do. it is such a significant passage. And I do want to say this. It's important to note that God does plan on and has already started to fulfill the prophecy of bringing back to him bringing Israel back to him. And so he is working on that. And that is very important. And I encourage you guys throughout this week, throughout your personal time, read through chapter 37. It is deep. It is profound. It is important. And it is Israel's restoration. It is beautiful, a beautiful passage. And then we deal with chapters 38 and 39. And those deal with the attack of Gog and Magog. Again, I want to so badly spend the next three or four hours dealing with this and talking about it. There is great stuff online about Gog and Magog. Um, we don't have time right now to dive super deep into it, but these deal with events that have happened and are going to happen, things in the future, specifically with end times stuff, eschatology. Um, God punishes uh, them, Gog and Magog, for going against Israel, again, so that Israel would know and that the people would know that he is God. God punishes those who come against Israel. It, it, it makes us think, and it should remind us, that going against God's people, going against God's word, going against God's anything is not a good idea because he will punish you for it. <laughs> uh, again, God will not be mocked. And so this means also not just in our sin, thinking that we're getting away with our sin, but also in our treatment of his word and of his commands. So you do have homework this week. It's to read chapter, those chapters 37, 38, and 39. Study some commentaries about the, the prophetic implications of this section of scripture. There is really good stuff. And if you guys need any references, please reach out to myself or Pastor Rob. We would be happy to give you some references on, on specifically those three chapters, but on any kind of commentary that may help you guys get deeper into the Word. Because it is not about us coming to church or 
or those kinds of things. It is about glorifying God's name, and we can even glorify God through the study of His Word. So it's in conclusion, it's important to note, God desires a relationship with all of His children. Praise Jesus that Jesus came and He included the Gentile nations in that grouping of children, but God wants the relationship with all of His children. That relationship gets severed when his children sin, when his children disobey, when they turn away from his word. He has provided a propitiation for our sins, as Hebrews talks about, through his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the place of our punishment. That's, that's basically essentially what propitiation means. It means a substitute. We believe in substitutionary atonement, where Jesus Christ took our place on the cross because he didn't want us to suffer that punishment, so he suffered it for us. When we confess our sins and believe on him, the relationship with the Father can be restored. Many of us have seen that Sunday school thing where you have, you know, a guy standing over here on a plateau and the word God over here on this plateau, and then there's a gap that he can't cross, and then the cross goes in and he crosses over the cross, and, and if we can fit the word cross in there a few more times, that'd be great. It is, not an, it is not a wrong image to look at. It is maybe incomplete and definitely maybe some theological questions with it. But there was a chasm, a burden, a weight, a debt that we could not pay, that we could not cross. Jesus came to bridge that gap between us and the Father. And all we have to do is confess and believe on him, and we will be saved. We will be saved. And so I encourage you today to check your relationship. If you've asked Jesus into your heart before, praise God. I'm glad. Don't rest on your laurels because that's what the children of Israel did. And look at that, what happened to them. They, they drifted so far away from God that he had to punish them to get them to turn back. Don't drift from God. So if you've asked God into your heart, praise Jesus for that. Now check your heart to make sure that you're obeying what he says to do, that you're living a life that is glorifying him and him alone and not glorifying yourself. If you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart yet, if you haven't asked him to come and forgive you and to believe on him, then I would encourage you, do it today. Get right with him because the punishment, the ultimate punishment of everyone in this world comes through the form of death and denial of, of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that will result in, in an eternity of separation from God, an eternity in hell. And that is something you can't come back from. The Bible says that it's appointed a man once to die. Once. We get one go around on this ride. Once it's done, the Bible finishes that verse by saying, and then the judgment. Then comes the judgment. And whether you like it or not, every person on the face of the earth will stand before God and give an account of what they believed and what who they followed. And if you can't say Jesus Christ, then you are in danger. And if you can say Jesus Christ, but you never really followed him, you're in danger. Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Understand that this is 
a very important <laughs> message. This is a very important uh, topic to get correct. And so that's why we preach it. We preach it for His glory. And even in His glory, those people who are entering into their rest and those people who are entering into eternal damnation, God will be glorified. Make no mistake. God's judgment is just, regardless of the choice that you make. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you restore, that you have started to restore Israel and that you have restored our hearts. Lord, I pray that right now, even in this moment, if there are people that are concerned, God, I pray that you would not let fear overtake them, but they would be encouraged by your word. They would be encouraged to press into you. We love you so much, Father, and we ask today that you would be glorified in our lives and that we might be restored to you and that we might be made new and be made whole once again. We love you. We thank you. And God, we pray that your name would be glorified in every action that we do. In your name we pray.